Montiel. Argentina, champions of the world. And the nation will tango all night long. 36 years since Maradona and Mexico. Here, finally, is a nation's new throng of immortals. يتقدم باريدس يتقدم باريدس جول 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 ارجنتينا با مونتيل مونتيل جول ارجنتينا كامبيون ارجنتينا كامبيون Millions of people around the world gathered last year to watch the World Cup. What is it about sports that so many of us are so drawn to? For athletes, there might be the reward of winning a competition or the challenge to test their capabilities. For the audience, it could be the entertainment of watching your favorite sport on a Saturday night with your friends, or feeling inspired by an athlete on screen who shares your identity. For both the athletes and the audience, there is a shared sense of community that gives these spaces a lot of meaning. The sports and fitness spaces, although fundamentally different, are heavily intertwined. In this episode, we invite everyone from newbies at the gym to experienced athletes to listen in on a discussion on sports and fitness participation. Brayden and Swapna, show hosts on the team, are avid sports and fitness lovers, and you will be listening in on a candid conversation about their journeys in these spaces, all the way from getting started in a sport to using electronic gadgets to track fitness performances. Vina and I also had the pleasure of interviewing Rashada, a program director at Hijabi Ballers, an organization that aims to increase sports and fitness participation for Muslim women in the greater Toronto area. We spoke to Rashada about her journey in these spaces and the importance of accessible programming for Muslim women. We hope these conversations inspire you to join a local sports team or just go out for a walk. Before we dive into today's discussion, we would like to acknowledge that Toronto was founded on the traditional territory of many Indigenous nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Heron-Wendat. This meeting place is still home to many First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people, and we are grateful for the opportunity to live and work on this land. We encourage our listeners to reflect on the long history of science and medicine as tools of oppression against Indigenous peoples, and the barriers to health care that are still experienced by Indigenous peoples in Canada today. I'm Noor, and welcome to episode 114 of Fraud Talk Podcast. All right. So to start off, Fatma, do you want to just do a brief introduction about yourself, and uh, maybe you can start with how you got in your uh, your start in your interest in sports and fitness? Yes. Well, that's a good question. Um, I can't really pinpoint one moment in my life where I became interested in sports and fitness. It just is a theme that continued from when I was a wee kid. <laughs> through to now and um honestly I'm grateful for it because 
sports and fitness is fun, but it's also something that has given me, and I know it's given a lot of folks that I know, and in general, um, people a lot of benefits in terms of their mental and physical health. Um, and I've seen other benefits with my own productivity. Like to this day, I make sure I get in my fitness snacks so that I can improve my own productivity day to day outside of the sport or exercise world. That's so true. How about For yourself? me, so kind of funny. Uh, my parents, my family, like when my sister used to, my sister would, would play soccer and such, but my family's not that big of a, a sport family. Uh, my introduction into sport actually came from my grandma, Aww. who who was Scottish. And when she came to Canada, she fell in love with the Toronto Blue Jays and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yes, go Leafs, uh, go Jays. For, you know, the Canadian identity, if you want to call it, that Canada sport identity. So it was one way for, for her to get in touch with the Canadian culture. So ever since I was young, she would always have hockey night in Canada on. And that's how my that's how my interest in sports got started was from her. Um, and, and then, you know, signing up in hockey, doing soccer, doing all these sports that kind of started up from her. And then my dad was a coach in soccer for years and his dad was a big soccer coach in, uh, in the Mississauga area. So that's where his kind of passion came from. And it kind of just all came together for me. Um, so ever since then, it's kind of been sports have been a major part of who I am, constantly following hockey, baseball, et cetera. But as well, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of um, lessons to be learned and things that sport can teach you, right? Like time management, preparation, you know, making sure when you go to games, you got your equipment. The worst thing, the worst thing you can do is when you're driving there, your parents <laughs> are driving you, you're in the back seat and you turn and you go, Dad. I forgot my skates and then having to then then having to show up and be like yeah coach I'm late sorry guys I uh forgot my equipment or even worse I've had a couple of players on my teams just not play at all and had to sit and just watch the game no <laughs> um actually I love that you you bring up the lessons that you learn in sport because I think that that's something that I've experienced um as well and hockey is something that resonates so much with me. This is the first sport that I truly fell in love with, a diehard Leafs fan, um, and have really loved playing and watching that sport for many, many years. And one of the things I learned um, as a child starting to play hockey was I was a very shy child, you know, and a bit more reserved, and I didn't really have a way to develop my voice as a person. And it was through hockey that I found that uh, for myself and started being able to communicate in a way that was uh, meaningful to teammates, to opposing teams, to the people around me. And I think, as you say, sports serves as a platform for not just the physical um, health, as well as your mental health, but the lessons that you can learn throughout your life. And it's also a very important point, too, to make, you know, we're talking about hockey here in terms of like structured sport but there's also a lot of you can participate in an unstructured sport and learn those exact same things whether it be for example pick up volleyball or stuff like that where you still are able to learn those valuable skills it may not have to be in such a formal setting um, but you can still learn those valuable life skills in such an unstructured sporting activity it doesn't have to be sports either it could be fitness right it can be other fitness programs or whatever you can still learn those valuable life lessons and I think that's what something that 
is also attractive for people to participate in, fit, in fitness and sports is because, like you said, you can find your voice, you can find friends or et cetera, et cetera. Now, what would you say for someone who may not be involved in fitness or sport? What would you say could be a starting point for someone that just wants to look for where to start? Like where, if I'm someone who's interested in participating in activity, where should I go to start? That's an interesting question because while I said I fell in love with hockey at an early age, it's an expensive sport. So I didn't actually have the opportunity to play ice hockey until I was at the University of Toronto for several years like in, I think, graduate school or medical school is when I started. And I was nervous. I was, I was thinking, you know, how do I begin? I'm not starting when most people start. So I'm not really sure I have the skills or the network or the know-how of what on earth I'm supposed to do to begin. And I think the hardest part was just convincing myself to start. Uh, because once I did, I went to the rink at the university um, for their drop-in hours. I found that people want to help. People want to support you. People want to help you figure out how to do what it is that you're trying to figure out how to do. And it's a wonderful community. Sports that's one of the things that's one of the wonderful things about it it builds a beautiful community um and that's something that goes beyond again just the physical just the um, mental it's something that you take with you through your whole life and community is one part of that the other thing that i experienced was trying to go to the gym for the first time i think a little bit later in life than many folks that i um grew up with or have been uh, hanging around and that was nerve wracking because going into the gym, seeing all those machines, I don't know what they do or I don't know what to do with myself. There's so many things and I don't know what they are. Just going and asking again, the same thing is what I found having, building up the courage to begin was the hardest part. And then from there learning just came naturally because people want to help. And there are a lot of resources available to be able to figure out what you might be interested in um, trying next. And it's uh, it's something that I really encourage you to, if you're listening to this and you're in that position, kind of feeling nervous, know that all of us have been there at some point. You have to start somewhere. And starting can be the hardest part, but it's so rewarding when you do. You know, if you just reach out to somebody, they're more than happy. I'm sure they're more than happy to reach out and show you, like, this is what their passion is. And they want to share those passions with people that are interested. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, anyone who's interested in, in hockey, I always say like, you look like come on the ice, we can try it. It just takes, it takes a couple of lessons to get used to, but once you, you know, you don't have to be the next, you know, Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, but you know, if it's something that you're interested in, just reach out to ask and someone's more than happy. And then, you know, it doesn't even have to be, you know, that specific sport. It can be an adaptive sport. It can be a modified sport, right? For example, like you said, ice hockey is such an expensive sport. There's so many people out there that I assume probably want to play hockey, but one, it's so expensive to participate in, right? Mm -hmm. But there's alternatives. There's ball hockey that you can participate, road hockey, et cetera, that there's still those, those alternatives. And I'll bring up a point in my undergrad, um, I did a project with the Ontario Hockey Federation and the study wanted to know why participation in hockey in Ontario specifically uh, participation amongst youth has been decreasing and what are some of the ways that as an organization and as a hockey community can we increase participation at the youth level um, and actually what my study found was one as we just said hockey is an expensive sport 
Um, so in order for us to attract people to participate in hockey, we have to create one more accessible programs and to make it more easy accessible. But on top of that, one the number one, the number one key to getting someone to participate in hockey specifically was having connections or communicating with somebody. So if what we found was our participants said they got into hockey because they knew someone that played hockey. So whether it was their friend, their cousin, or their neighbor, that was their connection into hockey, which to me was crazy because, you know, I was thinking about it like, that's so true for me. I, I played hockey because, you know, my friends played it at school. They played it. My, my, you know, my neighbors, they played it too. So that's something that was totally interesting to me too, that, you know, maybe, maybe one way that you can get yourself into participating in fitness activities, you maybe just ask a friend who may be interested too having somebody that you can depend on and make you accountable for attending the gym or stuff like that. Right. I think that's important too. hundred percent. And I think what you're saying about accessibility is so, it rings so true and it resonates so deeply because the accessibility is how people can start. And that's how I start in a drop-in program. The stakes are low, the community is really welcoming, and this is where you can just try it out. See if it's something that works for you and figure out your, um, your way forward and the accessibility is really important because it reminds me of certain uh, things that helped me when I was beginning Uh, for example in the gym women's only hours that was really helpful for me Um, and I know that that's a a really helpful element to a gym for many women who are looking to to find that space a a safe and welcoming space to uh, start or continue maintain uh, their presence at the gym and get their gains in but accessibility in so many different ways as you're saying with youth and um, as I'm mentioning at the level that I entered uh, various sports and fitness activities it's a really key element we're talking about the benefits of it but how do we get started and how do we maintain that um, in our lives accessibility is a really important part of that I also think something that you know i I'm sure there's probably, you know, some research out there, but something that's really stuck with me is as well. It's also the local culture in terms of sporting teams within the community, right? You look at the Jays when they were doing their 2016 postseason run the following summer, mm-hmm. baseball participation, baseball participation, like I skyrocketed. Everyone was interested right. in playing the Blue Jays, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know the exact number. I don't know the exact numbers, but you know, the interest in, the interest in teams of success of the major league levels, I think have plays a role. You look at the Raptors, right? Yeah, the amount of pe- the the people, right? Same with basketball. When the Raptors won their run, so many kids, because they saw it on the news, they saw the excitement, they said, you know, I want to give basketball a shot. Unfortunately, for my Maple Leafs, the years that, uh, <laughs> the years of so horrible teams, you know, I see it with them, my friend, I, you know, we all grew up together, same neighborhood, same local culture. And I'm the only one out of my friends that, you know, support the Leafs. Everyone else cheers for a different team. Why? Well, I, yeah, I know. It's unfortunate. I try to persuade them, but it goes nowhere. So I'm having, a, I'm having a little bit of fun now that, you know, the Leafs are a competitive team. But, you know, I can only go so far when you don't win a playoff series. But either way, uh, I, think, I think that has to do something with it as well that, you know, seeing your, a local team success and the Raptors and the Jays, I think that also plays a role of inspiring youth to have someone to look up to. And, you know, I, I, I bet you, we look at probably a year from now with 2026, the world cup, the number of youth participation in soccer, which is already a popular sport, 
but as well as women's sport and all that kind of stuff with women's soccer and men's soccer, I think the numbers are going to increase substantially yeah. because I can't see, you know, you look at all the athletes that are inspiring Canadian athletes. I think it's going to give a lot of youth to look up to. So I'd imagine if we look, you know, five years from now with the world cup, I think, I think that's also something that we're going to look at too. You bring up such a good point with the visibility of what youth are looking up to. Um, and I mean, hey, that reminds me of myself as a kid looking up to the women's hockey Olympic teams and seeing the success that they had. And um, I'm, I'm so happy to see a lot of the movement that's gone on in women's soccer and women's hockey and the visibility that we see today. A um, lot of ways to go, of course. In, in all elements of EDI in sport. Yeah, and I think also uh, something to do with it too, Swapna, is also um, with visibility is broadcasting the sports for people to see, right? Totally like agree, for, yeah, I think yeah. this was, this was, you know, you, I don't know how, I'm thinking within the last two, three years, we've now even been seeing like the world juniors for hockey fans was a big thing. It's a big thing every year seeing the top junior competitive uh, sports players play. And you never, ever, ever heard about the women's championships. It was never broadcasted. It was an afterthought, which is unfortunate because, you know, there's a lot of talent coming up to the women's program. And within the last two, three years, we've finally seen them start to broadcast, you know, on TSN. You get to see finally the U18 Women's World Championship being broadcast on the main networks. Not on, you know, the side networks, you know, they're on the main networks because, you know, it should be visibility. And, you know, there was that 16 year old girl from the Czech Republic, I think it was Czech Republic or Slovakia, who, you know, probably wouldn't have gotten the attention if it wasn't now on the main broadcast. And this is like the next Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> so I, right. So I, I, I think a big thing to do it as well is for, is for, for fans and, and as well for us to recognize that there's still needs there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of visibility and promoting sports to be accessible to all but as well giving equal rights in terms of showing off sport right like yeah. you still see like i know the women's world cup is coming up and i'm going to assume that it's going to be i i hope it'll be broadcasted in not just canada games but all the women's world cup games broadcasted on canadian television because i think that's important yeah, and I can only, you know, hope that we're going to see more and more of those equity and diversity and inclusion principles applied in what we're seeing in broadcasting um, in terms of visibility. But again, strides have been made and let's, let's hope, but not just hope, let's advocate for more strides to be made. I'm Rashada. I grew up in Toronto and I've been working with Hijabi Ballers for about three and a half years now, or three years, I would say. Um, I am a program director and community liaison for Central Toronto. So that essentially looks at programming, um, anything related to Central Toronto and our participants and just moving the organization forward in that sense. Can you introduce what Hijabi Ballers is and what the mission of Hijabi Ballers is? So Hijabi Ballers is a grassroots organization that started um, five years ago, I believe, with a Marine, who is the founder of Hijabi Ballers. She was an athlete herself, and she didn't see a lot of female space, and not only that, but not a lot of or any Muslim um, female spaces, because there are different barriers to that as well. Um, 
So she created this organization in order to celebrate and recognize, you know, Muslim girls, Muslim women, um, and to increase uh, participation and re re representation of the Muslim females in sports spaces and sports program in and around the city. Can you also give us a little bit of background on the history of how the organization started up, kind of, you know, maybe some numbers, some initiatives that grew? I think initially there was a core of like eight to 10 uh, girls within a Marines group and community who she obviously mobilized and gathered to start this organization. And they did a sports festival, which was one of the first things they ever did. And at that time, no one knew what hijabi ballers was. And um, that sports festival was like huge. It was like, I, I remember it till today. I remember going to it and I didn't know anyone. Um, I didn't even know a Marine at the time. I was just like, well, I played sports growing up and like this seems like it worked for me, you know, like Muslim women in sport. Um, and essentially that's kind of how it started. And then, you know, um, I was never part of the committee or, or like the group, essentially. I was just a participant. And over time, I just became more and more involved. And um, I'm also like, I can't, I can't help, help it. I just, sometimes I feel like if I want to do something, I want to be like, Hey, let's do this. Instead of being like, you guys should do it. It's like, let's do it. And I'm like, that's kind of how I came into the role that I am in today. And kind of, we kind of opened up in terms of spacing, in terms of where we are. We used to be more East York. Um, now we're in Scarborough. Now we're in like downtown Toronto. So we've kind of grown in that sense. Um, in terms of programming. Yeah. We went from like one to two programs to now we're running to get certified the f-series is kind of on a pause while that was running um there's basketball in two different locations and then there's like partnerships with other organizations so like you know we've grown a lot in that terms of the span of five six years which is a lot for a small group of girls that's super impressive and it's also interesting how you came across this organization um and you said that you really like sports Slash fitness. Can you talk about some of your personal interests as well in sports and the fitness space? Yeah. So when I was really little, um, so I'm the youngest, um, and I, the the sibling that's older than me was my brother. So my brother was going to taekwondo classes, and then my dad also put me in them as well. I now play soccer, and I played soccer the longest. But when I was in elementary school, I played hockey, floor hockey. Uh, I got the opportunity through my school to play ice hockey for a couple of years. Um, but again, things are expensive. Um, there wasn't a lot of um, flexibility in terms of transportation, in terms of even finance, right? Um, so for me, I stopped playing when I was in grade seven. I just played soccer because it was free and it's cheap. You only need a ball and someone else always has a ball. Um, so I, you know, went just played through high school soccer and I currently play now to play uh, recreationally. I'm not by any means good, but I still just play. Um, and yeah, and hijabi ballers was the one who actually was the first time I ever played basketball. Even though basketball is a like a very prominent sport in my community, um, I never actually played basketball before hijabi ballers. And by the time I was hit the court, I was 18. So, and the only reason why I even did was there was no programs for women after high school at the community center. Like there was nothing that I could find that I could be a part of and kind of feel safe in. There is a difference playing with women and women of my faith as well who can understand certain things. Um, so hijabi ballers had lent me that space. And, you know, I was like, maybe I should play basketball in high school. 
You sound like you're very passionate about sports. Sorry. Yeah, I don't know if I talk so much or not. Love that. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> what here? Actually, I wanted to branch off of one of the things you mentioned. Um, so, I mean, you know, you clearly you really love sports, but have you faced any sorts of misconceptions having like being a Muslim woman in like the sports space? Last year, I was going swimming. It was an outdoor swimming pool, and Nike has come out with this burkini thing. Okay, I didn't like the top, but I had the pants. The pants was swimming pants, swim kind of uh, gear. Um, and then I got this long sleeve Nike swim shirt, which was like for outdoor swimming, sun like sun SPF kind of stuff. Um, so I was wearing that. And the lady goes, "Oh, you can't go in the pool." And I'm like, oh, why? She's like, you're not wearing uh, swimming clothes. And I'm like, first of all, this is like a major brand, Nike. And it's swimming. Like, if you look at the inner side, it says Nike swim on it. And I was like, so can I, like, Nike has made this for swimming. So if you're not letting me go swimming, that's not on my clothes, you know? It was wearing my scarf. Um, anyway, she ended up letting me go. But these are just some of the small things that, like, sometimes you feel like, should you fight? Sometimes you're just like, whatever, man. Like, I'm just here. Like, so things like that, they do they do shape the way that you further participate and the chances that you take in in sport. But not only sport. I think sport, like, people think whatever you do in sport only stays there. It It is highly linked to your daily life or your, like, your other other things that you do in life there's a lot of research about you know being in sport and education and like being in sport and crime and youth and like all these things are very interlinked so I think these experiences people don't understand is that they have a huge effect so I think hijabi ballers and even going back to soccer now I've become more confident in myself and just I feel better you know Um, and I know a lot of other people can attest to that when the space is there for them to take I remember in high school we, a majority of the girls on my team were Muslim. Uh, they wore hijab as well. Um, so a lot of us, we didn't wear shorts. Okay. So some of them, they wore shorts, they wore tights, and then they wore whatever, the shin pads and everything. Me, I never wore my shorts. I didn't feel comfortable. Um, so I wore long pants. And throughout all of high school, like, um, there was never any ref that ever asked us or ever told us that we can't play like that. And this one ref in one of our last games, like, no, you all need to wear shorts. And one of the girls who was wearing shorts with tights under, he's like, no, you can't wear that. And I don't know, like it's, and it's hard to tell now. That's the thing. Another thing is hard to tell um, if he was actually being discriminatory or he was trying to pick something for no reason, or if it's just something that it was a rule and that we never knew. And um, so. the example that you brought up with the shorts, I feel like that's a very common thing that Muslim women get. And I guess like for context, because a lot of Muslim women tend to dress a bit more modestly and whether you wear a headscarf or not, some of the clothing for those particular sports are not necessarily appropriate. Do you think that the fitness industry or the sports industry can do better in terms of making more appropriate clothing for people with various kinds of faiths and needs? Of course, I think that's um, like, I know that there are smaller, like, you know, um, clothing companies that are uh you know not major name brands but others you know other muslim uh people um around the world trying to to make modest clothing for women and you know even for men um to wear when they work out when they play sports um one thing is they're usually really expensive 
like really expensive. Um, another thing too is I feel like the big brands or even other some organizations the other couple months ago I was, I was talking to someone and they're like oh yeah we're doing this this hijab and I'm like okay are you guys consulting any Muslim women like you have they have it on women like to, to for pictures but I'm like do any of them wear do any of them wear hijab like at all do they know what it's supposed to feel like you know um so those are things but with regards to clothing in the fitness industry there it's also like an, uh, the way you look right like the way you look, I feel like also per, like a lot of times people will assume that you don't know how to work out or you don't know what you're doing. Um, and I don't know why. I wanted to ask, um, how do you think that we can uh, promote diversity inclusion of Muslim women and uh, accommodate people you know, from different backgrounds um, within like the fitness and sports space in a more general way? I think it's not only Muslim women, but there is a large, large population of women who um, to prefer women-only spaces, women-only gyms, um, women-only sports. And although maybe to some companies it's not as profitable, um, like I remember there was a gym downtown that was an all-women's gym. You know, my sister went to it, my mom went to it, a lot of people that I knew went to it and it closed. Um, and so after that, a lot of these women, they don't work out. They don't, they don't even go outside. Like there isn't a space that they can feel comfortable. And one thing that Hijabi Ballers is trying to do right now is get more women um, educated in terms of, you know, getting certified, um, going through courses, doing what they need to do so they can be in spaces and take spaces and lead the space and programs for women. I'm really glad that you brought up the point about the finances and getting certified because that was actually one of the biggest reasons why I hadn't pursued a certification in anything fitness related is I would always check these programs and then I would see that they're like a thousand dollars or more. Um, and then in March, this is a really good chance to advertise this program, but in March, Hijabi Ballers offered this um, collaboration that was, I guess, between Fit Squad and Nike. Um, and hijabi ballers that was completely free. You just kind of apply and um, it was a space for Muslim women to learn three days in a row how to do functional strength training and how to coach um, in fun functional strength training. And that was a, like a really big starting point for me to start going to the gym and get be more educated about how to approach the fitness space in general. So um, I think it's really cool that these kinds of programs exist. And I think that there needs to be more of those kinds of programs. Well, I wanted to touch base on something that I use on a daily basis. It is fitness apps and wearable tech. Now, Swapna, do you use any fitness apps or wearable tech on a day-to-day -day basis? I'm going to admit ignorance. I'm a total novice in this area. I remember in a previous episode on raw talk we were talking about hexo skin a really cool wearable tech that uh, was being used in aerospace context but beyond that i know there is a plethora of options out there you tell me what you use because i'm actually in the market so i actually have two i love tech um I'm a big tech person, so I always want the latest and greatest technology. Uh, so I started off with Apple Watch. Well, actually, I started out with a Fitbit. Um, it's something that I was really interested in. Yes. Right. Which I wanted. For me, it was more about tracking my heart rate during, um, during my workouts just to see 
you know, how many calories you burn, et cetera, et cetera, that kind of thing. Just something that I think would it be interesting just to analyze analyze the data. But um, like a true scientist there. <laughs> <laughs> I love big data. So I love anything I can get data on. It's it's for me, like I, I love. So I for me the Fitbit, I enjoyed it, but I think with the Apple Watch, because I have Apple products, you know, the Apple world, the ecosystem kind of thing. So I switched over to an Apple Watch and I don't regret it. Um, not because I didn't get my phone notifications, but I find the the workouts and it keeps me accountable, the standing goals, because on top of just, you know, meeting my, closing my, my activity, my workout and standing rings as well. I think it's important, you know, just to like, it reminds me every, at the 50 minute mark, if I haven't stood this hour, stand up, move around, keep yourself active rather than, cause you know, you could sit on the couch and not even realize you haven't moved in the last three hours or this, right. it kind of gives you that, it, it, it kind of gives you that notification um but my most recent purchase that i have is the aura rink i'm not sure if you've heard of it i have heard of this tell me what you think so the aura ring was actually used uh in the nba's covid bubble as an indicator of potential symptoms and stuff like that so i'll actually touch base that in a second but um it's a great sleep tracking ring so you can wear it on any finger they actually send you um a trial tester ring after you purchase it so you can kind of get a sense of your size and then you once you select your size they send you the actual ring you wear you barely barely notice it you don't have to take it off other than to charge it the battery lasts probably once a week and it tracks your sleep pattern to a t so i could tell you my exact amount of hours that i slept last year my average wake up time my average time i go to bed uh it is the amount of analytics that are behind it are crazy and in fact i i don't i won't say it's 100 percent, but uh it actually detected when i was coming down with covid a day or two ahead of time based mm-hmm. on my body te- based on my body temperature you could see my body temperature increase over time by a few degrees and it was a, it was kind of like a predictor that okay i'm feeling fine but something in my body is that i may not know is coming is a bit off right that is- so every morning Every morning I, I get up and I check what my sleep score is and it kind of gives you an overview of like your body temperature, how much REM sleep you're getting, all these kinds of neat tricks that, you know, not, not many people are, you know, aware of, but for me, it's, I like collecting data. And I think if I can somehow influence this data in terms of my day-to-day fitness levels, I think, who knows, it could be beneficial in the future. Okay, two questions for you now that I have this info. One, what is the thing that you use it for the most? Is there an, a metric that you're most excited to see? For me, it is more um, sleep. sleep. Uh, it's, I track more in terms of, you know, it gives me a score of my sleep efficiency. So if I can wake up in the morning and I look at, basically, they actually give you a score in terms of your activity levels from the day previous mm-hmm. and that kind of for me that score kind of gives me an indicator of how I should treat my physical activity for that day so if I have a high readiness score I know when I work out I can push myself a little bit more that way I'm not impacting my body my body can recover enough or if my if I have a terrible sleep my readiness score is going to plummet so I know myself you know what maybe today is a good day for me to rest we all, we all have of- something to improve on right 
<laughs> but it also, you know, it also keeps track of oxygen saturation, walking equivalency, total steps, that kind of stuff. That's so it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, the, the other question I had was around whether this makes you more motivated. Do you find that your psychological impact from it is different? Um, not so much the Aura Ring, but the Apple Watch. I find it motivates me because I will always be motivated to close my rings because if I look at my, my watch and I see like, oh my God, I haven't closed my activity ring. I should get up and do something to close those rings, right? That's interesting. It, it sounds like it almost gamifies the exercise and even sleep experience, which, hey, can make it fun to keep track of those things that could sometimes be tedious. We were talking about the challenges of starting, getting started in sports and fitness and exercise and physical activity in general. But one of the other challenges is keeping it up. And it sounds like these tools can be really helpful in motivating, uh, but also helping you keep on top of the maintenance. Yeah. And that's what, you know, we talk about new year fitness goals. You know, it's the first Mm -hmm. month of the, you know, you go to the gym and the first week of January, it's packed. By the end of the month in January, all those newcomers, some of them stay, some of them don't go because it's hard to, hard to stick to those fitness resolutions. That's right. So what are some of the ways, I guess, you stick to your fitness resolutions? Oh, that is such a good question. So, you know, a lot of my fitness, especially pre-pandemic, but a lot of my fitness centers around fun. I have a lot of fun playing hockey. I have a lot of fun going to drop in basketball. I have a lot of fun doing uh, physical activity. And that makes it really easy to keep up because I want to do it. So finding something that you're passionate about or that gives you joy, I think is a really important part of making exercise a part of your life. But the other part, I think, is what I found, the fitness snacks, those exercise snacks, making sure that I sprinkle small amounts of exercise within my day to help boost my cardio respiratory fitness. Um, there's an excellent body of research that's currently burgeoning and growing uh, on this and the impact on your cardiorespiratory fitness that small uh, bits of exercise can do in a day take stairs instead of the elevator um, get up and move if you have a meeting make it a walking meeting or do something that's active within your day and I'm finding that that small reminder even on one of those busy days um, as a student and uh, as a researcher or whatever your role might be that really helps, but it also helps with your productivity. It's just a mutually beneficial um, element that I've really enjoyed and I've made it a point to do every day. So far, it's going pretty great. I'd have to say that that New Year's resolution, because it's small, because it's a snack and not a whole meal of exercise, it's doable. Even like even that, like you said, like it doesn't have to be an, a whole hour workout, right? It could be a, a five, 10 minute get up, walk around, go outside, get a mental refresh, get some fresh air, walk around the block, do something. And that kind of resets. And then I find for me, like if I'm, I'm deep in my writing or I'm, I'm deep in my data analysis, whatever, if I get up, I walk around the house for a bit, I come back to my computer. I have some new thoughts and some new ways of, you know, I kind of get over that writing block per se, you'd say. Um, But I think, you know, when people, some people would assume, equivalent, you know, fitness or that kind of stuff of going to the gym, but you don't have to go to the gym to be physically active. 
there's mm-hmm. other ways that you can be physically active but you know for me like I have an at-home workout app that I use and so rather than me going to the gym I get a 30 minute hit workout based on my app five days a week I can pick upper body lower body arms uh, cardio whatever I want to choose it's at I don't have to go to the gym to do it Amazing. right and, and you know even for people that like you said before like some people may not be comfortable going to the gym working out in front of people that kind of stuff you know so there's also there's alternatives that you can do to still remain physically active like you said even if it's something so small it's just going for a five minute walk something is better than nothing exactly every little bit helps and I love what you're saying about the um work from home exercise or outside of the gym I love gyms they are excellent places and I really enjoy the community as well um but I've been working from home a lot lately, especially during the pandemic, like a lot of us. And what I've been doing, similar to you, Brayden, I've been going to different YouTube videos, trying to find the specific things that I want to work on. Right now, I'm rehabbing a shoulder injury. So I've um, had, a, you know, it's unfortunately recurring shoulder injury. So I know some of the things I'm supposed to be doing to help rehab this. Going to some of those YouTube videos, making sure that I know um, a few things that I can target each day and what I want to do there's lots of different ways as you say Brayden of doing these things at home or any place outside of the actual gym any closing thoughts or comments closing thoughts or comments Hmm. you know I'd say from everything that we were talking about it's motivating me to go and get my workout in because I don't think I've done that yet today (laughs) also I'm really pumped for everyone to hear the conversations that happen in this um, particular episode and uh, take away from it the wonderful perspectives that we've had the privilege to hear from our guests and, mm-hmm. and take that into your own lives as well. A very special thanks to Rashada, Brayden, and Swapna for their insights. And of course, thank you for listening. This episode was hosted by myself, Noor. Bina and I conducted interviews, and Brayden and Swapna developed content for the discussion and hosted as well. Alex was our audio engineer, and I was the executive producer. Anissa and Atifa helped with promotions. Until next time. Talk Podcast is a student presentation of the Institute of Medical Sciences in the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Toronto. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the IMS, the Faculty of Medicine, or the University. To learn more about the show, visit our website, rawtalkpodcast.com, and stay up to date by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Raw Talk Podcast. Support the show by using the affiliate link on our website when you shop on Amazon. Also, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts, and be sure to leave us five stars. 